Pastor John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. If you will, turn in your Bibles to the book of Jude. The book of Jude. We're going to be looking just in one verse tonight, verse 11. Jude, verse 11. And the entire book of Jude, Jude is drawing our attention to false teachers and false preachers and false leaders and apostates, if you will. And uh, just by way of review, let's go back and look at a few things. We've been talking some about the actions of these apostates. And uh, we went back and we saw how there were the apostate Israelites, the apostate angels, the apostate Gentiles. And then in verses 8 down through verse number 16, we see the different actions that these apostates are involved in. In verses 8 through 10, we see where they reject authority. And we talked about that uh, last week or so. In verse number 11, we see where they walk in error. And that's where I want to just park tonight and start unpacking that. Jude gives us three ways, three examples of how these false teachers are walking in error, and I believe we can see that tonight. In verses 12 and 13, we'll see how they, uh, how they lead falsely, just a false message, and they're leading people astray in that area. And then in verses 14 and 16, you see where it's really all about self, uh, where these apostates, these false teachers, false leaders, uh, they're looking really to please themselves. Now, to me, what's, what's ironic about this, what's kind of amazing about this, is that Jude wrote this thousands of years ago, and here now we see this unfolding in our day. So to me, and I've always said this, and I still believe it's to be very true, the Bible is as up-to-date as tomorrow morning's newspaper. You know, a lot of people think, well, that's just an old, archaic book. Uh, it's really not relevant to the 21st century. We're so, so sophisticated nowadays and so filled with knowledge, which, by the way, may be our downfall. Uh, but nonetheless, we, we think we have... I don't know, we've gotten smarter than what this book is. Well, friends, you haven't. And this book is certainly still up to date today in the 21st century, in the year 2013, as it was the day that they wrote it. So there we see how they were walking in error, how they, um, if you will, how their actions were wrong and what they were involved in and what they were doing. And we even see that in our day today. But I want to look in verse number 11. And here, go to the next slide, if you will, please. I want to look in verse number 11. I want us to see how they are walking in error. I'm going to skip. There you go. Verse number 11. How they are walking in error. Look, if you will. Just let me read in verse 8 down through verse number 11 in the book of Jude. It says, Nevertheless, these dreamers likewise defile their flesh, reject authority, blaspheme glorious ones. Yet Michael, the archangel... When he was disputing with the devil in a debate about Moses' body, did not dare bring an abusive condemnation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. And then in verse 10, But to these people, bla but these people blas blaspheme anything they don't understand. And what they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, they destroy themselves with these things. Now look at the caution that Jude throws out here. Woe to them. Now, this is a heeding, this is a warning. 
But this can also be taken more on a softer side. Not only is it a heeding and a warning, but it can also be that Jude is lamenting over these false teachers in the church even in this day where he is broken over them, where he is praying over them and almost lamenting in a broken spirit over the fact that false teachers have crept into the church. But nonetheless, he says, woe to them. And then he gives us three Old Testament figures, Old Testament individuals that we can go back in the Old Testament and read about that help us see how they were walking in error. Look what he says. For they have traveled in the way of Cain. They have abandoned themselves to the error of Balaam for profit. And they have perished in Korah's rebellion. Now let's just try to stop right here and, and just unpack those three different distinctives that Jude gives us about these three Old Testament individuals that were very notorious. I mean... The writers and, or, or those that Jude was writing to knew exactly who these individuals were. And here these individuals, he, he, he lets us see that the false teachers in the day that were in the church of, that Jude was writing, and even in our day, they were portrayed by these three individuals in the Old Testament that Jude is drawing our attention to. So I want us to look at that. These three individuals in the Old Testament led many people astray. And I want us to look at that real quickly. Look what he says, how these false teachers, we're talking about apostates, false teachers, false preachers, and how their walk is in error, okay? That's the paradigm that we're looking at. That's the perspective that we're looking at this passage with. And Jude gives us three different examples of the Old Testament of how these false teachers and false preachers are walking in his day, and it's relevant even for our day today. First of all, look what he says. Number one, they have traveled in the way of Cain. Now, I just don't want to assume that everybody understands all there is to know about Cain. So, therefore, I want us to turn in our Bibles. Let's just flip back to the book of Genesis. You may very well understand this passage and know what it's all about, but if you do, then praise the Lord, we're going to have a little refresher course. If you don't, you'll see a little bit of what's taking place here and how it's relevant to these false teachers that Jude is trying to give a parallel to how they're traveling in the path or in the way of Cain. In Genesis chapter 4, and I'm not going to read the entire passage, but here in Genesis chapter 4, you'll find where Cain eventually kills Abel. And it says, if you will, let's skip down to um, verse number 3, Genesis 4 and 3. It says, In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. And Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. And then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you furious? And why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, you won't, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Now here we have Cain and Abel who are brothers, and they brought an offering to the Lord, and Cain brings an offering of what? What's he bring an offering of? 
his fruit, his vegetables, what he has grown out of his garden, what he has worked and toiled and labored over intensively with his own hands. He was very proud of what he was bringing to the Lord, right? Because it's, it's what he accomplished and what he grew. Abel brings an offering also. What does he bring? He brings the firstling of his flock. He brings a, a lamb. He brings one that's as, as perfect as it can be. He slaughters this lamb. He cuts its throat, no doubt. He bleeds the blood out, and he offers that to the Lord as a sacrifice, which, by the way, is a picture of Christ and was what God required from the very beginning, right? So here we really have two different types of, of mindsets taking place. You have Abel that's bringing his sacrifice to the Lord, in this sacrificial animal. But then you have Cain that's bringing his offering to the Lord, and it's what he worked up. It's the best that he could bring himself, which, by the way, is a picture of a works salvation. Okay? That's what you see here. It's a picture of works salvation, where Cain was trying to work to get God's approval, and whatever he could work up, he gave that to the Lord. And, of course, the Lord rejected that. And Abel, on the other hand, just took the best of his flock and the firstling of his flock and the best one that he had, and he, he offered that up to the Lord, and the Lord received that one. Now, whenever Cain saw what was taking place, he got furious. I mean, think about it. Cain had worked very hard, right? Toiling the land, planting and tilling and weeding and cultivating and nurturing the plants and bringing that, and God rejected it. And here we have Abel bringing his, and he got furious with Abel. Well, God says, Cain, why are you furious? You know what I require. If you just go back and bring what I require, everything will be okay. Sin's at your door. And that's just implying that he was trusting in himself. He was trusting in his works. And his offering was rejected. And, of course, Cain was upset. In verse number 8, look what it says. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Uh, you already know how this is, the, the tone of this re response. I don't know, right? Kind of a rebellious type attitude and tone in his remark to God. I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper or am I my brother's guardian? Am I supposed to look after him? And, of course, the story goes on. But I want you to see in verse number 8 where Cain killed Abel. Some folks have asked, and I believe someone sent me a message on Facebook asking, how did Cain kill Abel? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us how Cain killed Abel, just the fact that he did kill Abel. And some speculate on how he may have killed Abel. And have you ever thought about that? you ever thought about that gruesome act that took place? And um, think, how did he do that? Yeah, he called him out to a field, and he killed him. That's all the Bible says. Did he hit him over the head with a rock? Well, he may have. You know how I think he killed him? And this has nothing to do with the lesson, but I thought you, I found it interesting. And you see, whenever I'm teaching and preaching, I don't know what you find interesting, so I can only share what I find interesting. So I found this interesting, so I hope it's interesting to you. Does that make sense? Okay? So whenever I'm studying, I'm thinking, how did he kill him? You ever thought about that? And they go out there in the field, and there they are. And Could it be that, that he killed Abel with, with Abel's own knife that he had made somehow to kill his sacrifice with, to kill his lamb with, to offer it up to the Lord. 
I don't know. Whenever people ask how did he kill him, I think maybe he took that. I, th- I think he took the sacrificial knife that Abel had that he used to kill the firstlings of, of his flock to offer up to God. And I think the rage was, was so deep in Cain that he took the very object that Cain... I don't know. This is pure speculation, okay? I have no idea. I'm just thinking, okay, and, and thinking through this, this process. He may have knocked him over the head with a rock, Okay? But I think he may have taken that knife that he saw him so many times use. And so anyhow, he killed him. But here's the point. Jude brings attention to the fact that Cain killed Abel. And he gives the parallel that these false prophets, these false teachers, these false preachers that, by the way, had already come in by stealth. They had come in undercover into the church where Jude was attending and writing about. He said, they are here among us now at the writings of Jude. And he gives the parallel that they are walking in the path or the pathway of Cain. They're following in the way of Cain. Could it be, I think there are several different parallels or several different ways that we could look at this. I think sometimes, and this is something I wrote in my notes here. I think he may have been talking a little bit about Cain's attitude. Maybe his attitude and his conduct, these false teachers, their attitude and their conduct is a lot like Cain. You see there... There's, these are spiritual descendants of Cain, if you will, just by way of application. They're walking in the way of Cain. Their attitude, their conduct, possibly. I also wrote in my note that they're disobediently, they've devised their own way of worship. You see, Cain devised his own way of worship, right? I mean, God required a sacrifice to be offered up to him as a way of worship. Cain brought his own way of worshiping with, with the goods out of the land that he had grown himself. Could it be that false, t- false teachers today kind of bring their, their own way of worshiping God that may not be necessarily true to the scripture on how we are to come and worship God? Cain was envious of Abel. Could it be the parallel that, that false teachers and false preachers, there's a, there's a spirit of envy that's even within them? But I think the greatest application is the fact that Cain murdered Abel. And I think what false teachers and false preachers do, they spiritually murder the souls of those that they are teaching to with their false doctrine. And in the end, their soul is what's going to pay the, is what's going to be destroyed, right? What's going to be lost? So I think there's the parallel there that that Jude has given us, that these false teachers and these false prophets, that they travel the way of Cain. Cain murdered his brothers. And I think apostates today are destroyers of the soul, preaching their false doctrine, teaching their false doctrine, which ultimately is going to lead to the death, eternal death and damnation of the soul of man. So... There he is, the traveling the way of Cain. What's the second way? The second parallel he gives us of how they are walking in error. Not only have they traveled the way of Cain, but look what it says in verse number 11. They have abandoned themselves to the error of Balaam for profit. Now, when's the last time you've gone back and studied about Balaam and Balak and the prophet Balaam and and the donkey, remember the donkey? Most of us remember that story. The donkey that speaks, that speaks and that sees the angel of the Lord standing in the pathway. We kind of all remember that. But why was all that transpiring? 
Well, let's go back in Numbers chapter 22. And this, by the way, just kind of refresh our memory a little bit. Numbers chapter number 22. And here's where Balak hires Balaam. Now, I want to pick up reading, if you will, in verse number, uh, I don't know. Let's just start a little bit in verse 1. I'll just skip around and glean a little bit. Numbers 22 and verse number 1. It says, The Israelites traveled on and camped in the plains of Moab, near the Jordan, across from Jericho. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was terrified of the people because they were numerous. And Moab dreaded the Israelites. So the Moabites said to the elders of Midian, This horde would devour everything around us like an ox eats up the green plants in the field. And since Balak, son of Zippor, was Moab's king at that time, he sent messengers to Balaam. You get the picture here? Here we have Balak, who is Moab's king, the king of Moab. And he is now threatened because they see Israel is coming and they are afraid of them. So he goes and he calls out, he sends messengers to Balaam. Let's skip down. It says, he says to Balaam, Balak said to him, look. A people has come out of Egypt, and they cover the surface of the land, and are living right across from me. In verse 6, please come and put a curse on these people for me, because they are more powerful than I am. And I may be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that you, listen, for I know that those you bless are blessed, and those you curse are cursed. Now he knows the history of Balaam, and he knows that whatever he prophesies, if he prophesies a blessing on someone, they're going to be blessed. A curse on someone, they're going to be cursed. So he, he calls him and sends messengers to bring him. And the elders of Moab and Midian departed with, look at that next word, fees. They went to Balaam with money in their hand. They said, Balaam, we're going to pay you to curse the Israelites. We're going to pay you to curse them because we are afraid of them. They are very numerous. They outnumber us. They can overtake us. We're afraid of them. They're just right across from us. And they're now going to pay Balaam to curse them. I find it interesting that Balaam even had to go to God for an answer about that. He should just say no right there, right? I mean, there's some things you guys... Listen, guys. Everybody look at me. There's some things you just don't have to pray about. Right? You don't have to go, let me pray about that. No, you know it's wrong. Say no right then. So anyhow, he says, spend the night here and I'll give you an answer the Lord tells me. So the officials of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam in verse 9 and asked, who are these men with you? And Balaam replied to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, and sent this message to me and said, look, a people has come out of Egypt and they cover the surface of the land. Now come put a curse on them for me and I may be able to fight against them and drive them away. And then God said to Balaam, you're not to go with them. And you're not to curse this people, for they are blessed. I mean, God told him what he should have already known. I wonder how many times that happens to us, right? I mean, there's things we know we shouldn't be doing. There's, there's places we know we shouldn't go. There's things we know we should not get involved in, right? Because we're a child of the king. We don't have to go, let me go pray about that and see what God says. No, 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 no. You know, right? That's a good spot for an amen, by the way. So Balaam got up the next morning and said to Balak's officials, Go back to your land because the Lord has refused to let me go with you. In verse 14, the officials of Moab arose and returned to Balak and reported, Balaam refused to come. Now I want you to look at verse 15. 
Now, he already sent messengers with some money to, to, to pay Balaam to curse the Israelites. They go back and he said, nope, his God said, nope, can't do that. They're a blessed people. You can't curse them. They went back. Verse 15, Balak then sent officials again who were more numerous and higher in rank than the others. Now, he's sending some high authority guys now, okay, to go back to Balaam and talk to him. And they came to Balaam and said to him, this is what Balak son of Zippor says, let nothing keep you from coming to me for I will greatly honor you and do whatever you ask me. So please come and put a curse on these people. You know what? You know what Balak is telling him now? I'm giving you a blank check. Whatever it takes, I'm willing to pay it for you to come and put a curse on these people. Well, Balak responds in verse number 18. But Balaam responded to the servants of Balak. If Balak were to give me this house full of silver and gold, I could not go against the command of the Lord my God to do anything small or great. Now the story goes on, and you can go all the way through chapter 23, and you can see the, the oracles of Balaam and all that he says, and he's going back and forth with, with God. But I, I want you to see here that, that God gets angry with Balaam. The fact that Balaam just didn't say no. And then we go on and see, and God says in verse 22, but God uh, was incest with, with Balaam, and was go that he was going, and the angel of the Lord took his stand on the path to oppose him. And Balaam was riding his donkey, and his two servants were there with him. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord stand on the pathway, he drew his sword with, his, with, his, with a drawn sword in his hand. She turned off the path and went to the field. And this is the story where Balaam's on his donkey, and we all kind of remember this, so I'm kind of skimming over it. So Balaam hit her and returned to the path, and the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow passageway between the vineyards. And the donkey, verse 25, saw the angel of the Lord and pressed herself against the wall. Now, you got the donkey's trying, I can't go that way. The angel of the Lord's there. Got the sword drawn. Man, we're going to die if we go that way. So the, so, the, so the donkey really did Balaam a favor and went off through the field. Well, Balaam got upset and brought the donkey back on the path, and now he's going that way again, and he squeezes him now up against the wall because he don't want to be slain by this angel of the Lord. And verse 26, so the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in an narrow place where there was no room to turn to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she crouched down under Balaam. She just squatted, okay, just sat down right under Balaam. And he became furious and he beat the donkey with a stick. This is a stubborn man, is he not? Right? Verse 28, then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth. Some folks have asked me, do you really believe that donkey spoke? Well, I do because it says in verse 28, and by the way, one verse is all I need, right? The Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you have beaten me these three times? And Balaam answered the donkey, you made me look like a fool. If I, if I had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you now. But little did he know, the angel had a sword in his hand, and but the donkey said, I am not the donkey you've ridden, or am I not the donkey you've ridden all your life until today? Have I ever treated you this way before? No, he replied. Now, here, here's what I think is funny. Now, now, Balaam's having a conversation with his donkey. You know, don't you find that hilarious? I mean, now they're talking, what are you doing? You're embarrassing me. And then he's talking back. He's, if I ever let you down, well, no, you haven't. You've been pretty faithful. I mean, they're kind of dialoguing back and forth here. I find that funny. In verse 31, and then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the path with a drawn sword in his hand. And Balaam knelt and bowed his face to the ground. And 
And the angel said, or asked him in verse 32, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? Look, I have come out to oppose you because what you're doing is evil in my sight. The point is, Balaam was, was negotiating. Okay? Uh, they came to him, first of all, with some, with some money in hand and said, Balaam, we're going to pay you to curse these Israelites. We're afraid of them. They're going to overtake us. We know who you bless or bless, who you curse or curse. We're going to pay you. He says, well, let me talk to God about that. He should have known he couldn't do that. And he talks to God, and God says no, and he tells them no. He tells them verbally no, but I believe in his heart, he's kind of thinking, I may still can get something out of this. And then they come back to him, and they said, listen, we're giving you a blank check. Whatever it takes, I'm willing to give you if you will come and curse these people. Now, he says the right thing. You say, well, yeah, he says the right thing in verse number 18. Look what he said in verse 18. If Balak were to give me this house full of silver and gold, I could not go against the command of the Lord, my God, to do anything small or great. Now, I want you to notice, he said the right thing with his mouth, but his actions are not following what he's saying with his mouth. Are you tracking with me? His walk is not following his talk. Now, he said, I could not. I can't curse these people. God has told me no. I can't do that. If he gives me the whole house full of silver and gold, I can't come and do that. But then he goes anyway. God gets furious about this. Now, eventually you go and you read the rest of the story. But here's the point that I want to bring this back to Jude. Here Jude is referencing these false teachers and these false preachers of the day. And he's saying that they have abandoned themselves to the Aram of Balaam. Here's what I want you to see. Balaam was hired to curse Israel. These false teachers and false preachers are all about money. They've sold their heart and their ministry for a dollar. Say amen or old me, but stay with me here. I believe that's the parallel and the reference that Jude has given us about these false teachers, these apostates. They are seeking to gain money from their error. And that's exactly what Balaam was doing. Well, what does God have to say about that? I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy, if you will. 1 Timothy chapter number 6. I want you to look at verse 3 and following. 1 Timothy chapter number 6. Now, this is Paul writing to this is one of the pastoral epistles. He's, he's writing to Timothy, his beloved son in the faith. He's given him some counsel as a senior pastor to a young pastor, if you will. And he says that we are to teach and encourage these things. What things? The things he just talked about in verses 1 and 2. And then in verse 3, If anyone teaches other doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness that he is conceited understanding nothing but has a sick interest in disputes and arguments over words from those come envy and quarreling and slander and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth who imagine that godliness get this now they imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. In other words, they're thinking, man, this has really become about money. And if I can 
grow this ministry and sell these books and have these conferences and draw these crowds, then I can make a lot of money. Now listen, I'm not saying that every conference out there is a false teacher and a false prophet. I'm not saying that every book that's written is written by false preachers and false prophets. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying, Jude is making a reference that these apostates and these false teachers and false preachers, that they have abandoned themselves. Now, Jude is saying this. I'm not. They've abandoned themselves to the error of Balaam, to where they are being entertained by the dollar amount that they can get. And Paul tells Timothy that if you go against the, the true teachings of God, then you, you have imagined that godliness is a way to material gain. Look what he says in verse 6. But godliness, now he's given the correct view of godliness, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So Paul is telling Timothy that true godliness is not about how much money you have. True godliness is when you're, you're godly and you're content. That's great gain. I mean, listen, there's, there's not enough money in the world to buy contentment. I mean, the rich are always want to get richer. Those who have more need more, right? I mean, it, it's an unending cycle. It keeps going and going and going. But godliness when contentment is great gain. Get this, verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out, but if we had food and, food and clothing, we'll be content with these. Verse 9. But those, get this, but those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. Verse 10. For money is the root of all kinds of evil. Did I read that correctly? I did not. Notice what it says. For the love of money is the root. Listen, it's not a sin to be wealthy. Right? It's not a sin to have nice things. But if that is your desire and your, your passion is to have more and bigger and better and more and more the love of money, the lust of money, the desire for money, willing to sell my soul, willing to water down the doctrine to draw a crowd so we can have thousands of dollars in the church budget. That's, that's the parallel that Jude is making. I don't want you to miss that. Okay? That's what he's making there about these false teachers. And Paul is giving Timothy some counsel in these areas. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Paul says that some, by craving money, have become apostates. I didn't make that up, guys. Right? Did I? You can see it right there. It's in your Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Right? In verse number 10. Verse 11, but you, man of God, run from these things and pursue. That's what you need to be diligently striving for. That's what you need to be passionate about. Not about making another dollar. Not about building a bigger house. Not about buying a newer car or, or going up in the levels. I mean, if you have it, fine. God's bless you. Praise the Lord. But when, when it becomes our passion, are you with me, church? When it becomes what we live for, it has destroyed many individuals, many families, many preachers, many ministries, and they've become apostates. And that's what Paul is telling us here. They've wandered away from the faith. But you, 
Paul said, but you, O Timothy, you, O man of God, run from these things and pursue godliness. He said, run from those and run after this. That's what he's saying. Pursue godliness. Pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life that you were called to and have a good confession about the present or, or about in the presence of many witnesses. I like also what he told, if you will, flip over a page or two to Titus 1 in verse number 10 and 11. Verse 1, 10 and 11. Titus chapter 1, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Titus chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. For there are also many rebellious people full of empty talk and deception, especially those from, from Judaism. Verse 11, it is necessary to silence them. That's kind of a bold statement. Silence these rebellious people. Silence them. They overthrow whole households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. Are you tracking with me, guys? Are you with me? I'm talking about these false teachers. I'm talking about what Jude is talking about. False teachers, false preachers, false movements, false doctrine that's about wealth and the, and the lust of it and how many have turned from the faith as a result of it. I believe that's the analogy that, that Jude has given us. When he says they have abandoned themselves to the era of Balaam. They've gotten away from preaching the whole counsel of God to preaching and teaching out a way that they can get great monetary gain as a result of it. Let me give you the third and final one and, and I'll be done. Not only do we see that they travel in the way of Cain, not only do we see that these false teachers abandoned themselves to the era of Balaam, but thirdly, I want you to see this third attribute of these false teachers in verse number 11. They have perished in Korah's rebellion. Now, are you familiar with Korah? Are you familiar with the story that happened there? Well, I think to understand this passage, you're going to have to familiarize yourself with what took place. So let's go back. And I won't be long. I'm about out of time. But I want you to see this in Numbers chapter 16. In Numbers chapter 16. It says, now Korah, and I'm just going to skip down, took, and I'm going to read all the descendants and sons of. Now Korah took 250 prominent Israelite men who were leaders of the community and representatives in the assembly, and they rebelled against Moses. They came together against Moses and Aaron and told them, you have gone too far. Everyone in the entire Everyone in the entire community is holy and the Lord is among them. Why do you exalt yourselves above the Lord's assembly? Now, what we have taken place here is Korah went on a little rant against Moses and Aaron. There was this spirit of rebellion that Korah had. He looks around one day and he, he calls all these distinguished individuals around him, kind of the affluent ones, the ones with influence, he pulls them around and says, who is Moses anyway? Right? Why do we got to do what he says? Why do we got to follow Aaron? Who are they? Look at us. And so this spirit of rebellion is already at work with Korah. 
And he started the little gossip chain and did the little politics taking place and he's gathered a following. Are you with me? Are you with me, guys? This happens in churches all the time. The spirit of Korah. Who is that preacher anyway? Who is that pastor anyway? Well, I'll tell you who he is. I'll tell you who Moses was. He's God's man. Chosen for that day and that hour to lead those people. Now, I'm not one of those preachers that will pay an evangelist to come in and say what needs to be said. I'll tell you what needs to be said. I'm God's man called here at Victory Church to lead this church for this day and this hour. And when God changes that, I'll let you know and I'll kindly walk out. But until God tells me that I'm no longer to lead this church, then I'm the one that's supposed to lead this church. And I don't have any problem saying that. Now, I want to lead with a shepherd's heart and I want to be kind, and I want to be loving, and I want to be fair, and, and I want to treat everybody the right way, and, and I don't want to have little cliques here and there. I mean, I love everyone, but, but, but God has... Listen, I didn't ask for it. He called me. In the back of a UPS truck, He called me. And I said, okay, God, wherever you lead me. Korah did not like the fact that Moses and Aaron were leading the people. So he started a following. He said, hey, who, who is Moses? Well, I don't know. I've been thinking the same thing. Who is he? And they, who, listen, we kind of got together. We've been thinking. Why don't you come over? We're going to have coffee over here tomorrow evening. Why don't you come over? And let's talk. Who is, who is Moses anyway? Who is Aaron anyway? And, and they got upset with the authority that Moses and Aaron had. Are you with me? Some of you are not smiling. I don't know if I've already made you mad or not, but I'm just preaching what's in the book. <laughs> right? They got upset with Moses and Aaron. And Korah brought these 250. Look, he tells them, I'm going to make a long story short. You've got to read this whole thing and really just let it absorb it and kind of picture it. And, and so I, I've got to make it really short here. I've got about three minutes and I've got to be done. In verse 18, he told them each to take a fire pan and he placed fire in it. He put incense on it. He stood at the entrance of the tent, or they stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting along with Moses and Aaron. Now here's Korah and these 250 people have come together and, 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 and Moses goes to God and God says, hey, tell them to do this. And, and they're doing that. And I want you to look at it. Man, I love this part. I love this. Look at verse number 19. And after Korah assembled the whole community against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Listen, they're at the tabernacle. I mean, they're God's house. Holy smoke, they're fighting at the church. Uh-huh, right here. They're doing it. You say, well, I just thought that happened in the 20th century. Oh, no, it's been going on for a long, long time. They're fighting in the church house. And right here it is. Korah's gathered his whole company of 250 people, and they're standing against Moses and Aaron at the door of the church, if you will, or the tent of meeting, as it says in the Bible. Where am I? Um, verse number 19, and Korah assembled the whole community against them at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Get this, the glory of the Lord appeared to the whole community and the Lord spoke to Moses. He said, get out of the way, son. <laughs> I love that. And that's, not, that's kind of not what I said. The Bible says, he says in verse 21, separate yourselves from this community so I may consume them instantly. You know what God said? Moses, Aaron, get out of the way. I'm going to take care of them. But I want you to look at the heart of Moses. Man, this is good stuff. and I've got to be done here. Verse 22. And Moses and Aaron fell faceward and said, God, God of the spirits of all flesh, when one man sins, will you vent your wrath on the whole community? 
And the Lord replied to Moses, tell the community, get away from the dwellings of Korah. You see, Moses now is pleading on behalf of all the people. He said, God, don't destroy them. But you know what I find funny? When you, when you go and you study the relationship of Moses and God, you'll find that Moses gets ticked off and he says, God, kill them all. And God says, Moses, you know I can't do that. And then God gets ticked off and he says, I'm going to kill them all. And Moses said, God, no, you know you can't do that. Aren't you glad that God and Moses never got ticked off at the same time? I mean, are you not? <laughs> but, but here we find them. And Moses said, God, you can't kill them all. You get on down through here. Look at verse number 28. And then Moses said, and I'm, I'm skipping some here, but you've got to go back and read this story. It's a great story. Verse 28, Then Moses said, This is how you will know that the Lord sent... Get this now. This is how you will know that the Lord sent me to do all these things, and that it was not my own will. Now, he's talking to Korah and the men of Korah, and he's saying, Listen, this is how, we're going to put it to a test. Let's let God decide who's, who's supposed to be here and who isn't. This is how you will know if it's my will or God's will that I be here. Verse 29, If these men die naturally... Get this, if these men die naturally as all people would and suffer the fate of all, then the Lord has not sent me. But, verse 30, if the Lord brings about something unprecedented and the ground, let's just, let's just say the ground opens up. Now this is what Moses is saying. But if the Lord brings about something unprecedented and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them along with all the belongings to them, to them so that they go down alive in the shoal or hell, then you will know that these men have despised the Lord. And just as he finished speaking, I mean, the words just fell off of his lips. Just as he finished speaking, all these words, the ground beneath them split open, the earth opened its mouth, swallowed them and their household, all Korah's people and all their possessions, and they went down alive in the shore with all that belonged to them, and the earth closed over them, and they vanished from the assembly. And after cries, all the people of Israel who were around them fled because they thought the earth may swallow us up too. In verse 35, fire also came out of the Lord or out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were presenting the incense. Guys, let me tell you what happened right here. These individuals rebelled against God's men, God's leaders, and God's authority. And what Jude is making reference to, these false teachers, these false preachers, these apostates, they perished in Korah's rebellion. In other words, they're out teaching and doing their thing, and people may be drawn into question the authority at the church. That's not what they're teaching at the church. And they're, they're saying, well, who are they? Follow me. Do you see the parallel of what's taking place there? Well, who are they to stand and proclaim that that's right? Well, that's because God called them, and they're preaching God's book. Listen, guys, if you find a preacher, and I hope you found one in me. I want to be a preacher like this. But if you found a preacher that's not afraid to rear back and preach to you the whole counsel of God, you need to support that kind of a preacher, whether it's me or whoever it is. If they're preaching the book, you need to rally behind them because there's a whole lot out there today that won't necessarily preach the whole book because they're afraid they'll lose a few dollars or lose a little bit of a following and eventually those individuals and those ministries become false teachers, false preachers, apostates, and they've sold their soul and their ministry for a dollar. 
You see, guys, I vowed a long time to, to God. This, this is a personal covenant and vow that I made between me and God when I said, yes, I will preach. I will go into the ministry. I'll do what you call me to do. And I told God a long time ago, my tongue will not be tied to a paycheck. I will never let a board of deacons tell me what I can and cannot preach. I am going to preach the whole counsel of God. If it hair lips the devil and everybody else, I'm going to preach the whole counsel of God. I mean, that's a vow I made to God when I first got into this thing. Now, I've preached some things through the years that sometimes isn't very comfortable for people to listen to. But I must declare to you the whole counsel of God. Right? Now, I hope I can do it in a loving way and a kind way. But I've got to teach you what God's Word says. Paul, Judas saying, not Paul, Judas saying to us that these false teachers, that they have abandoned, they have perished in Korah's rebellion, they have abandoned themselves to the heir of Balaam, and they have traveled in the way of Cain. Last thing I want you to see, look at the very last part of verse number 11 in the book of Jude. For they have traveled, for they, I want you to look at the, at the verb tenses. For they have traveled in the way of Cain. They have abandoned themselves to the heir of Balaam for profit. And they have perished, past tense, about those. That's how sure Jude was that the direction that they were going was false and it's wrong and the judgment of God was going to fall on them. He was dead sure about it. He said they have perished in the way of Korah as he did because of their rebellious spirit. Now, guys, that's how these, that's just Jude 11, one little verse there. And Jude is showing us that false teachers and false prophets and apostates are walking in error. And he gave us those three examples on how they are walking. We ought to use that in our own spirit of discernment when we're listening to preachers and when we're following ministries. And man, when you see that, flee from it. Paul said, run to godliness and run to righteousness and flee that type of a movement. And guys, they're everywhere. They're all around us today. And it, I tell you, sometimes I'm thinking, man, true preachers are, at a, it seems like, they're such a minority. Like everything is bells and whistles and glamour and lights and glory and money and dollars and conferences. It seems like so much of that undermines the ministry of the local church. Where you've got pastors all across America, they're trying to be faithful to the Word of God. But people are turning a deaf ear towards that. And they're going after this. It's all dressed up and really pretty. And unfortunately, it's leading a lot of people in the way of Cain. And their soul eventually is going to be destroyed as Cain destroyed Abel. So all I'm saying is keep your guard up. Pay attention to who you're following, to what you're listening to, the books you're listening, reading, conferences you're going to, people you're endorsing, things you're watching. And I'm, somebody asked me, you ought to give a list of names. I could give you a whole list of names, but I'm not going to give you a list of names. I'm just not even going to stoop to that level and do that. If you've got concerns about somebody, you come to me one-on-one, we'll talk about it, and I'll explain it to you, but I'm not going to stand here in front of everybody and give a whole list. I want to try to... What's, what's the old analogy? You feed a, feed a person a fish and you feed them, give them a fish, you feed them for a day, teach them to fish, you feed them for a lifetime. That's what I'm trying to say. This is what I want. I want to teach you how to spot a false prophet or a false ministry or a false movement. 
I just don't want to tell you who they are. Now, if you want me to tell you some individually, come see me, and we'll talk one-on-one. And I can give you a whole list. And, man, I'll just stay away from them. Okay? It's for your own good. So I'm trying to shepherd you a little bit. All right? All right, let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Lord, I just pray that you give us a spirit of discernment. As Jude has identified the pathway of false teachers and false prophets, and how they're walking in the pathway of Cain, they've abandoned and sold out just like Balaam did. And, and God, we, we can see this. I just pray, God, you give us that discernment. Help us, God, to realize that there is false teaching out there. There's false preaching out there. There's false ministries out there. They're even in the church today, as they were in Jude's day. And, Father, I pray you help us to stand true to your word, to your call on our lives, and to one another as we try to stand and proclaim and teach and preach and live in the whole counsel of God. We ask your blessings on everyone that's here this evening, and may you get the honor and the glory for everything that's said and done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email or call or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109, O'Fallon, Illinois, 62269. Come and check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.